Greetings, I'm Tyler, and this is The Socialized Recluse. My guest this time is New Orleans-based composer Elizabeth Joan Kelly, whose previous album, Farewell Doomed Planet, completely hooked me. Her latest release as part of the duo Orca Attack with her husband David Rodriguez is CMSO, and, and oh yes, Orca Attack, that is Orca, comma, attack, exclamation point, the punctuation of which is extremely important and a matter of conversation, so stay tuned to that. Um, so CMSO, it's the latest album, and it is the inaugural release of Strategic Tape Reserve's Learning by Listening series, a, quote, instructive cassette series designed to bring the information of the world into your home and your brain. And my brain thanks them because it's a very, very, very cool album. Um, Elizabeth and I are collaborating on a on a series of, uh, of microfiction and music remixes. Um, I write the microfiction, and she takes that those words and my awful recordings, and and just works her magic on them and turns them into something just cooler than I could. You know, I could possibly just just make some fucking awesome stuff that more far more cool than I could possibly imagine. Um, so that's the reemergence series, and you can listen to the second one of those at parentheticalrecluse.com/reemergence. Um, before we go, before we dive into the interview, a couple things. The first is that if I seem completely exhausted in the interview, and potentially now, um, you can blame no one but the puppy. Um, yes, my wife and I um, ad adopted a new puppy a few weeks ago, Kirby, and you know I recorded this interview with Elizabeth like a few days after we we, we got Kirby. So it's my wife and I got Kirby, and uh, we were in the process of crate training Kirby, which Kirby took to mean practicing the strengthening of his vocal cords all night long for four or five days. Um, so. I think when I recorded this interview with Elizabeth, I, my, I, both my wife and I were probably running on two hours of sleep a night. So it's gotten better, though. Kirby's sleeping through the night now. He's being, he's a good boy most of the time. So we're getting there. But yeah, so that's the reason for my general exhaustion. And oh, yes. And then throughout this, as with every interview, there will be barking, there will be growling. And that is because my jorky, Izzy, who hangs out and while I record these invariably sees or hears or thinks she sees or hears something that pisses her off so she just has to go bark at it as one does so all right with that out of the way if you'd like to shout scream swear say hi or otherwise at me my email is tww at parentheticalrecluse.com and you can listen to earlier episodes of the show at parentheticalrecluse.com slash tsr pod now here's my interview with elizabeth So, but I, but I need to know what is it about Philip Glass that fills you with existential dread? Ugh, I don't know because the thing is, I love minimalism. Um, many of my favorite composers are minimalist composers, but there's something about the sound. So when Philip Glass does electronic music, the sounds mm -hmm. that he chooses, um, but even when he does orchestral music, I just find that his his way of moving through repetition to me doesn't um there's not enough change that's the beautiful thing about minimalism is you know you keep repeating something and then there right. are these very minor changes over time and then eventually maybe you wind up in some place very different with philip glass i feel like you just never get to that place that's very different and it's always kind of static um, right 
It is. Yeah. yeah and very austere. And so just it kills me. It, it just like hurts me. <laughs> we're going <laughs> and we're, we're going on a journey with no end. We're go- yes. <laughs> I guess maybe that's what it is. Like, this is it. This is death. I, this is going to be the rest of my life. It's just this thing over and over again. And I've got a, a good ear for it because he does have a very distinctive sound. So we'll be watching a film and I'll go, oh, my God, you tricked me into watching something that Philip Glass wrote the score for. How did this happen? Why, Koana Quatsi? Yeah. No. <laughs> right. I really did feel bad. I was like, I got, I actually nailed your influences. <laughs> then, I, then I, like, I picked the... Yes, I, I picked the funeral dirge that just, yeah. Well, you said that was like, what was that? Like one friend of yours had a site or something about. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend named Jennifer Wofford, who's an artist, and she asked people to to write about what they wanted as their funeral music and then um, also what they absolutely would not want as their funeral music. And then she did these wonderful illustrations. And so she's, I don't think she ever posted the one for Philip Glass, but she emailed <laughs> it to me where it says like, no Philip Glass ever. I guess that would be bad for a funeral if you feel like you're, you know, if you're not going anywhere, you've never gone, right. I've done nothing with my life, I've gone nowhere, yep. you know, yeah. Okay. Or it would fill me with so much rage that I would just pop right out of the casket and say, like, what are you guys doing? Did nobody listen to me? Yes, yes, you you will haunt them for the rest of the <laughs> Yep. But it's yep. good to have a hobby, though, right? In the end. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. You gotta have, that's your hobby, is if you play Philip Glass, <laughs> I'll haunt you. Yeah. Um, you said that you had a composition teacher accuse you of taking something pretty and intentionally making it uglier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but another thing you said that went along with that, I, that I was interested in wanted to, wanted you to talk more about is that you said you're mm-hmm. interested in the economy of musical material. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so that again comes from minimalism, although I'm obviously not strictly a minimalist composer, but you know, right. the idea that you should, get everything out of the musical material you're working with that you can. Um, So, you know, kind of the opposite of maybe certain types of metal where you go through like six genres within one song or where you're constantly just moving to a a totally different theme. Um, So sometimes I'll start with just a very small motif. That's only, you know, a handful of notes and just like do whatever I can with that. Um, and now that I'm working with electronic music, I do the same thing with, you know, I'll start with a MIDI file and then cut that up and put it backwards and put it upside down and and just work with it as much as I can without necessarily adding Mm -hmm. a lot of other stuff. And to me that you wind up with something that just feels very organic. Another thing though, with your, you know, talking about taking something pretty and intentionally making it ugly, Mm -hmm. that reminded me of something that Frank Miller said, which Mm -hmm. was, I like beautiful things, but beautiful doesn't always mean pretty. Mm-hmm. Yep, I completely agree. Is that um, where you kind of go, try and go with your... I, I think so, yeah. Um, I don't know if I always try and do that. With that particular time, that particular composition teacher said that um, I really wasn't trying to go for pretty. I was just trying to go for something that made people feel things. And sometimes you feel something because it's so horrible. Right, yeah. Do you think, I mean, that that attitude is, you know, on, on the comp- in the professor's side or in general is just out of a certain fear? Of, of going too far outside it could be um or, yeah. or i mean within an institutional you mm-hmm. know you know setting I, I, yeah i i think so i with that uh, what he was talking about in that particular instance was i i had something that i guess you know he thought was coming across nicely and that kind of fit his expectations and uh, then i was throwing yeah. in kind of these random like bursts um and that was what the piece was supposed to be about was like these abrupt um 
things that came in and surprised you and he did not like that surprise that was that was so not it, what he it was, was looking two for different that ideas of what the piece should be <clears throat> yeah yeah i got you okay yeah so well mm -hmm. i actually want to go on though about music education which is mm -hmm. what what to your mind makes for an ideal music education not necessarily one in an institution mm -hmm. but i mean what what did you seek out? Well, I don't know that what I sought out is actually what I should have sought out because um, oh, okay. uh, there was some time there. There are wonderful parts of my music education and mm -hmm. then parts of it that really just didn't fit what I was looking for. Um, but being able to with music composition, especially um, you wind up working so closely with kind of like a master teacher, yeah. just, you know, historically how this has yep. worked. And so if that master teacher relationship is not good, then like that really kind of can ruin the entire thing. Mm -hmm. So finding somebody who can talk to you about your, your music in a way that helps you make your music better and that you know that's a real skill and it's not just finding somebody who likes the same things as you um it's it's somebody who can recognize what's good about what you're trying to do and help you make that better yeah um, help you find your own voice yeah, yeah yeah um and part of i think one of the really good um parts of my music education when i was an undergrad was um we had this um class it was once a week and it was called composers forum and almost all of the composition majors took it. I took it every semester and we would just have a theme one semester, you know, we were doing film scores one semester. We were writing for percussion uh, another semester. We were maybe concentrating on like 12 ton music. So it was always something different, um, but it was just a chance to write some music. And then we would do a recital at the end of the semester. And it was so supportive. Uh, and I going on to other places, whether it was, um, you know, like summer music programs or grad school, I don't think I ever quite found that level of support, both from the teachers and from the other students. There was really no level of competition from what I could feel. It just everybody is in there to try some new stuff. We all liked listening to each other's stuff. We all offered each other suggestions that were actually like constructive and not <laughs> mean spirited. Right. Um, and, you know, I've taken creative writing workshops. I've seen how this works in lots of other venues. And when it works well, it can be one of the best learning experiences I think you can have in creative um, projects or creative arts. Uh, if it doesn't, you know, there's also times where it doesn't work well and you wind up with people who are really just there to kind of show how smart uh, they are. Show, exactly. What, yeah. Which yeah. can be really horrible. Um, so it was lucky that that was one of my earlier experiences and it wound up being so good. So if I was looking you know for more education or if i was suggesting to someone what they should look for i think that would really be something and I, I don't know that's you know an intangible thing i don't know how you can measure as an outsider whether that's going to be an experience that you can have at a certain school or you know with a certain group of people but um if you can that, that certainly seems to me like one of the best ways to go did you find like i know uzeel and i both when we left berkeley found that we felt like we had all of the technical side of mm -hmm. things, but we had kind mm -hmm. of lost our passion for it. Mm -hmm. Did you, yeah, did, did you find, how did, did that happen to you? And then, you know, wh how did you go about rediscovering that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And you and I talked about this a little bit before, and it's something I talk about with my husband a lot, because he's got an MFA in creative writing and he had a very similar experience coming out of his MFA program. And we have friends who are visual artists and we've all kind of got these stories of where we took these long breaks from making any art because yeah. we got out of like the academic experience and it just, we needed that, you know, time off. So 
Yeah. Um, for me, I, it wasn't like immediate. It's not like I got out of school and was like, ugh, I need a break. Um, but what did happen is I got out of school. I was working multiple jobs. I was thinking of going back to school. I eventually did go back to school, but for library science instead of music. And I was writing music that entire time and recording music and spending days out of every month um, putting together scores and snail mailing them for competitions and calls for scores and things like that because not everyone or barely anybody was really accepting stuff by um, email at that point and so I got to a level of burnout and I I'm I'm fortunate that I kind of came out of that school experience and I still felt good about myself as a composer even though there were times where I didn't feel like I was getting the best feedback while I was there Uh, but I, I was able during that time to just keep writing stuff and, and I felt good about what I was doing, but it was just too much. Uh, and so then I needed a break. And uh, once I finished school and I started working professionally in librarianship, that was very interesting and also very different. And um, I had tons to learn. I'm in a technology kind of specific area of librarianship. So there's just things are constantly changing. Um, and so with all of that, I just kind of stopped writing and it, it wasn't a conscious decision. It was just, you know, it happened. Right. Um, but then it happened so much longer than I thought it, it kept was happening. Yeah. It kept happening. Yeah. I thought, you know, well, take a few months off and then a few months becomes a year and then that becomes two years. And then eventually it was seven years. Right. Um, Reality and has a way of just sucking people in. It, <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the seven years um, wound up being an interesting um metric in itself because i've met lots of other people who was somewhere between five and ten years where they just really needed to take a step back and not do the art for a while Mm. um and during that time my husband um who's also a musician and a writer kept um trying to come up with ways for us to do creative projects he was trying to push himself and he thought if we sort of had some like deals like we're both going to work on something this week or you know we're going to treat ourselves to a nice dinner if we actually finish something that we're working on um and I, I was not interested in doing that because I just did not, <laughs> I didn't want to write any music. It's it's not that I didn't even miss it, which kind of shocked me because it was like such a big part of what I wanted to do. Um, but then bit by bit, he wore me down and uh, we started doing these composer challenges where he we would come up with an idea. We alternated. So one week I would come up with the idea and I would say like, we're going to write a piece for these three instruments. And then, you know, we would each write something and then we just share it with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, he would come up with an idea where he would say, here is a sound file. You have to make your entire composition out of this sound file. And so we would do that. Uh, and it wound up being a lot of fun. And I actually really liked some of the stuff that I came up with to the point where I wanted to keep developing it and just sort of organically it happened that now I'm writing music again. And uh, after about a year of that, I had enough music to put together an album and that's how I did music for the DMV. And it's just kind of kept going since then. I didn't know there was an actual you know time frame for it. But... I didn't either. And they, they didn't tell you that. In, they didn't tell us that in school, at least nobody said like, by the way, hope you're enjoying this now. Because you will hate everything for the rest, yeah. for, for at least five to 10 years. Yes. It'll be terrible. You will yep. never do it. You, you thought you were going to become an artist when you left. Ah, no. No, you're not going to want to be an artist yes. after this. One other thing you had talked about when we talked about it a couple weeks ago was the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it ever goes away. In my, yeah. in my, I mean, how do you cope with How do you deal with it? Um, I don't, you know, there's the part of me that, you know, my parents are 
uh, were CPAs. My dad still is a CPA. My mom also does accounting still. And they're like practical people who just, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and do the work. And so I, I think that that is a big part of my personality. So like, you know, during the day I'm working and I, it just, I'm not thinking about it. I'm yeah. not thinking about, it. is this good enough? Are people going to think that I'm a joke? I, I just do it. Um, I don't sleep well. I think that's probably yeah. when it comes out is, is, you know, lying awake at night and thinking like, Oh my God, nobody's going to like this. Everyone's going to realize that I'm a liar, that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I made, you know, <laughs> made a mockery of my career, whatever. Um, I always say they're going to find out I'm really good at pretending. Yes. <laughs> but I don't even know if I am that good at pretending. I, I think I'm think good I at ignoring. Either. I just kind of like yeah. don't pay attention to yeah. it. So, yeah, I don't I wish I knew what the answer was. Um, I just wish everybody had more confidence, but we don't. And the people who have all the confidence are the often who, the people who, the ones who shouldn't, shouldn't have, have it. it. Yeah. 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 yeah so 2016 to 2020. Mm -hmm. um, yes, right. I, I think yeah. you're right that the only way to do, get, do it is just do the work. Do the work and, and, you know, when you can see the rewards, even if it's the small rewards and appreciate them for what they are and you know, try and keep things in perspective, which is easier said than done. But um, like a, part of my non-music life is is working in academia and I, I write and I publish academic papers. And that is, um, you know, just a completely demoralizing experience <laughs> pretty much all the time um, because the peer review process really values those people who are the people who are there to prove how smart they are and not necessarily make your paper a better yes. paper. And so, you know, there's joke Twitter accounts for like reviewer number two, who's always the person who says the most arbitrary thing that you can't reconcile with your own work. Mm -hmm. um, but so, you know, ha I have to get through that because part of my job is writing and publishing. I have to do it. And um, so I've come up with ways to kind of, make it so that I can get through that. So if I submit a paper and then I get back feedback and they say, yes, we, we are willing to accept your paper, but these are the, you know, reviewer comments. We need you to do some edits. And usually when you first read through those comments, you're just like, Oh, I'm the worst writer ever. Why would anyone want to work with me? I'm, you know, I'm a disaster. Um, so my, my tactic for that is then take 24 hours and don't look at them at all. Try not to think about it. Um, and then I go through and I'll actually try and kind of like quantify what are the good comments, what are the useful comments, what are the comments that are maybe harsh but deserved, and then what are the comments that I can just ignore because obviously this person you know, doesn't know what they're talking about or didn't read my paper or whatever. And going through that process, usually by the end of it, it you get to the point where you're like, wow, like you know, 75% of what was in here was actually quite complimentary, it was actually quite useful it's only this very small percentage that's, you know, making me feel like I'm a bad person. Um, so that makes it easier to ignore. And again, that's probably like the daughter, the daughter of accountants in me is that I try and quantify all these things, but that, that, that helps for me. I'm, I'm going to have to apologize because you're going to have mm -hmm. a growling dog and a barking dog. Throughout <laughs> that, that whole, but that's just part of the ambiance of this show. Yes, I think. exactly. Yeah, is, it, but I think it was appropriate. You know, we we're talking about, I think so. Yeah. Blah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. We've um, got field recordings going on yeah, at the same time. Ex exactly. Yeah. I, well, when you were talking about the, the acad academia, you know, proposal mm -hmm. reviewers and stuff, my, <laughs> you said it was reviewer number two. Mine was reviewer mm -hmm. number five for my first book. Okay. And, yeah. First yeah. book proposal. And like the other ones, yeah, this is cool. This is really good. Blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. then, yeah. Then the, then the reviewer number five was like, I didn't even know I was going to write about what, what is this he's reviewing? I don't know what this <laughs> is. 
Right. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. How can I write and, this? And even if it's only one reviewer out of five, that's the one that like sticks with you and makes you, you know, that's the one you're thinking about when you're trying to go to sleep. You're not thinking about the person who said like, this was a great proposal. I'm really looking forward to reading this book. That just, you know, yeah, you throw that one away. All right. So we're going to play a track from, from your new album, CMSO from Orca Attack. So if you could just, uh, you know, introduce the track and we'll play it and then we'll talk about it. Okay. Um, well, the track is called Limitations and it's from a new album um, that my husband and I put out. Uh, his name's David Rodriguez. And when we put out music together, we are Orca Attack. Um, the awesome punctuation is very important because it's Orca comma attack exclamation point. Thank yeah. you. Um, there was a, a band when we were in college who um, was marine themed and also had punctuation in their name and we just thought it was the funniest thing so orca attack was our like joke band name but then when we actually started making music it <laughs> became their real band name the, so. the exclamation point sells it entirely <laughs> yeah um so yeah so it's from a, an album called um cmso which stands for Con um, course management uh, system optimization and it's put out by strategic tape reserve on cassette and digital <laughs> First of all, though, tell me what what is the the whole idea of the Strategic Tape Reserve project? Yeah, so um, Eamon um, from Strategic Tape Reserve had um, reached out last year and said he was going to start a series called Learning by Listening, um, and the prompt was he was looking, he wanted people to record um, short um, albums, fifteen to twenty minutes, um, that were kind of like self help or instructional educational series of reference cassettes. He said he, okay. it was something that you might find on your, um, the shed, uh, <laughs> shelf that your uncle had. 
<laughs> That's an awesome. I love that description. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> um, so I thought that sounded great and I thought that would be really fun. Uh, the part of music that kind of is the hardest for me is words. And so I had asked my husband if he would be interested in working on this together. Uh, so, and he said, yes, uh, thankfully. So he, um, then put together some text, um, and he said what he was going for was something that was bland sounding, but vaguely horrific, which is, I, I, I think that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and that always I think is kind of terrifying too. that the blandness and the horror is, yes. that, that always makes it scarier. I, it does. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so he wrote some stuff and at the time he was listening to, um, I had suggested he listened to Raymond Scott, who is a jazz composer and also an early electronic music composer who did a lot of commercial music and he would write stuff for commercials and then he would arrange it for his big band or vice versa. He would write something for the big band and then turn that into a Xerox commercial. Uh, so Dave was listening to that stuff and um, came up with this concept of course management system optimization, which sounds like a real thing, but isn't actually a real thing. Um, in academia right now, everybody is using these platforms um, for arranging and, and hosting the, the online course materials for classes that are either taught online or even in-person classes. You might have a, a, an online course where you have the syllabus and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, Dave came up with this idea where, um, you know, scientists are trying to make the course management systems better um which yeah i guess that is probably someone is doing it but they're not calling it course management system optimization um and he wrote this thing sort of in the structure of an academic paper so it has an abstract and an introduction and yada 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 um so then uh once i had the music i was thinking about you know what Eamon had said this is something that you find in your uncle's garage and so i was thinking okay well if you were recording this self-help tape sort of thing in the 70s or the 80s you would probably have you know a small commercial music shop and they would have some old synths and then maybe they would have a few live musicians um who come in just to do the session and so that was kind of what i decided to restrict myself to were sort of classic sounding synth sounds and then i had um, some decent synths that sound like harps and trumpet and organ and then i did some voice stuff okay well, um, it, it's very cool. I, I'm, thank you. I, I love it. It's awesome stuff. So, um, on that though, one thing we had, we had talked about, I think, even when we started doing the reemergent stuff and then this, mm -hmm. um, we're both working on longer form projects. Mm -hmm. What what is the but but want to do these shorter projects in between? Mm -hmm. So what what for for you at least? What's the benefit of that? Um, it just keeps me working on stuff and. Sometimes when I'm doing that, I'm thinking of the longer term projects. So like when yeah. I did Farewell Doom Planet, my last big album, that included some of those smaller things I had done along the way. Um, but like right now, I don't have a specific big project okay. ahead of me. Kind of the the closest thing I had was the Strategic Tape Reserve Tape, um, which is now coming out. <clears throat> so now I've got some other smaller things that I'm working on and I am have at this point accumulated enough stuff for another album but um since i wasn't thinking of the album and i do love a concept album it's it i'm not sure if i'll wind up doing something with all of these things or mm -hmm. maybe some of them will make it onto the next album whatever that is um but because i do i have been collaborating with different people in different ways that's been a really great way to just you know keeps me on my toes and it makes me try new things constantly and it also means that my my music is being exposed to people who probably wouldn't have been exposed to it if I was sticking within my own channels. Um, and hopefully 
vice versa. The people I'm working with, their stuff, which is great, is getting exposed to people in my circle who maybe they didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the benefit for me. And um, I think probably it's similar for you. It's just a question of making sure that you've got the bandwidth for all of these things. And and I hate saying no, but, you know, saying no if, if it's just too much and I can't can't take on more stuff. Yeah, no, I it, it's definitely that for me. I mean, I I I, well, I had confessed to you that I hate writing short stories. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> um, I want to like writing short stories. That's my goal for twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah, that's to good. like writing them. I've, I've, for me, it was I wanted to put something out there. That's why I called it reemergence. Mm-hmm. There was nothing special yeah. about it. It was just it, it was literally reemerging like a little mole mm-hmm. out of the hole. You know that. Yeah, I'll, and it's been fun for me because I think I've worked with visual artists. I've worked with dancers um tiny tiny bit with film um but with um writers i think the only writer i've worked with so far has been my husband dave Mm -hmm. so working with somebody else um has been really fun for me and now i know that i can do it and that (laughs) and that i get somebody else's words your words and i get ideas immediately um so that's been a plus so before we start wrapping up Mm-hmm. Um, your your data movie sheet yes. list is absolutely fa- okay because when I was <laughs> growing up I thought that my grandfather and I took a lot of data about the old movies we watch I mean we had mm-hmm. lists and charts of every Dracula film oh wow mm-hmm. this is a man who I mean he's 95 years old and he still has records of every shave he got off of an electric razor and the quality of it. I mean it's it's wow. a, yeah it's a, it, he was a, a biologist so the science okay. thing goes hand in hand. Yeah. But then your list just like made my jaw drop. <laughs> well, that's that's big thanks to technology because I I couldn't do all that on my own or I wouldn't do on all that on my own but yeah we we watch a lot of movies and we have for a long time now and um Netflix used to have a five star rating for the movies you watch. Yeah, they so we used to rate to everything. Thumbs the up. thumbs up, yes, thumbs down, yeah, useless. which is pointless. Yeah. But we used to do the star rating for the movies. And um at one point we we were just talking out loud and said, you know, I wonder how many movies we watched this year and you know how many of them were actually good? How many of them did we actually like? <sighs> mm-hmm. Um and I'm a data person and that's the kind of question that like keeps me up at night because I start thinking, how could we find out? Um, so at the time I found this widget that I could use to extract those, a list and make a, a spreadsheet of all the movies we had watched and what rating we had given them. And mm-hmm. then I found another tool that would let me connect that to IMDB and grab info about the movie. Okay. And so once I had that, I had this massive spreadsheet of everything we had watched everything we had given a rating to um, and then, you know, who was the director, what language was it in, what country was it produced in, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I, I wrote a little report and I sent it to my husband. I said, you know, this is, this is what we watched. This is what we liked. I know we think that this person is one of our favorite directors, but the, you know, <laughs> the metrics tell us otherwise. We actually only love two of their movies. Then we hate a bunch of their other movies. Who surprised um, you on that one? There were, there's a lot of surprises. One of them was David Lynch. Um, really? Cause we love Twin Peaks, yeah. love Twin Peaks um, and love some of his movies, but then really hate <laughs> Some of them, which I knew on some level, but um, which when you ones put were the all ones of the you uh, hated. Oh, oh God! Um, no, I'm not going to remember, remember names of anything. So the ones we love are Mulholland Drive yeah. and uh, quite fond of Eraserhead. Yeah. Um, Elephant Man, pretty good. Um, 
that might be it. Everything else okay. <laughs> probably is a three or a below on a five star rating. And some of those are one inland empire hated inland empire so much. Yeah. I think I've seen it once and I can't do it again. It's, it was rough. Yeah. yeah. So stuff like stuff like that, we, we found surprising. We also try to really, you know, get out of our comfort zone and not just watch, you know, whatever, I don't, not that we're watching a lot of blockbusters, but try not just to watch American movies or try not just to watch movies directed by white men. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, that's, that is what out there. So that's what we see when we look at the data is that, you know, we're still stuck in these areas. And so that has also helped us to say, okay, we really have to make the effort to go out and find more, more movies directed by women, more movies directed by people of color, more movies that are not starring men, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has helped us, you know, find stuff that we m- wouldn't necessarily have watched. And um, I guess I did the first report 10 years ago, maybe okay. somewhere around there. So I've just done them every year since then. And I tack on whatever we've watched during the year um, and I've used this as my own opportunity to learn some different technologies. So when I was first doing this, I was just doing it in Excel and literally going through myself and counting things, which was stupid. Um, <laughs> but then I learned how to actually use Excel to like do the counting for you, which is kind of like what it does. Um, and then I started using data visualization programs to maybe make it a little fancier. Um, so yeah, that's, it's a thing we've been doing for a while and, um, it's, something we both enjoy just because we like to you know quantify and qualify what we're doing but also it's led to us trying to seek out stuff that maybe we wouldn't have seen otherwise were there any that surprised you that you thought you didn't like but you actually did um i don't think so okay Okay. i think it tends to be the other way around we remember things more fondly um than we thought we did it's some it's skewed because we rate the stuff together and we have very similar tastes but obviously there are things that we don't always agree on um so like my husband is the average of your ratings like pretty much yeah okay yeah um and i mean sometimes we also you know we don't always watch everything together so there's stuff in there that only he's watched or only i've watched but like he's a big terrence malick fan Mm -hmm. and i'm really not um and so you know if it was dave's ranking terrence malick would have a very high score but because you've factored in my rankings it's kind of you know middle of the road so stuff like that we have to just know within ourselves that it's not completely representative of how we feel all the time um so i think we're going to I'm going to head into the wrap-up session, and these are the questions I usually ask everybody. Um, So, and I think I've asked you this before, but what haven't you tackled creatively that you'd like to try? I would love to do music for film. I've done, you know, when I was in college, I did some student films, which was fun, um, but really haven't done anything since then. And before the pandemic, that was my big goal for 2020, Mm -hmm. is I was going to meet some filmmakers and do something, you know, even if it was small. Um, and then that did not happen. And I have not gotten myself kind of back uh, motivated to try and <laughs> try and find people again. So that is still something I would like to do. Okay. Uh, what have you uh, seen, read, heard, you know, listened to lately that blew your mind? Um, I, some, I haven't been reading much at all, but I did miraculously over the course of the last year get through all of the books that were on my nightstand. That Congratulations. You know, right? Yeah. Like that's a big oh, deal. The, awesome. the pile is gone. Um, so, and you know, I haven't run out and bought a bunch of new books either. Um, I've been going through our bookshelves and trying to find stuff that I haven't read. Um, and so, most of what we have that I haven't read 
is stuff that Dave has taught because he teaches English. Um, okay. And so right now I'm reading a book of short stories by Yiyun Li, and it's called A Thousand Years of Good Prayers. Okay. Um, she's a, a Chinese writer, and it's very good. I really am enjoying it, so I'm almost done with that. Um, I've been listening to a lot of local music lately. I don't know why, but that's just what's been what I'm feeling. Um, so Tank and the Bangas, um, who are like a funk, soul, hip-hop fusion band. Um, and then there's a group called Sexy Dex and the Fresh, who are from New Orleans. And one of their singers, um, her name is Dolores Galore, and she also puts out solo music. And um, Sexy Dex and the Fresh is very, very much influenced by Prince. Um, But then also like it's some of it's about space and uh, alien invasions and it's like intersection of all these things that I love. Um, And it's like really upbeat um, musically, but not necessarily in terms of the lyrics. So that is something that's been kind of captivating me lately. Okay. And you're a big Earth, Wind and Fire fan, too. I am. Yeah. yeah, So, you know, sounds right up your alley. They sound right up your alley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So where can people find you connect with you yeah um so my website is elizabethjoankelly.com and i'm also on bandcamp elizabethjoankelly.mandcamp.com um and on twitter um that's where i am most active um in terms of social media and i'm elizabeth jelly all right many thanks to elizabeth for taking the time to chat with me and for being yeah, he's an amazing collaborator and an amazing artist. So um, I, I can only offer my apologies once again for bringing up Philip Glass. So sorry, Elizabeth. If you'd like to check out Elizabeth's music, which you should, you can find her at her website, elizabethjoankelly.com, at Bandcamp, elizabethjoankelly.bandcamp.com, and on Twitter, at Elizabeth Jelly. And if you'd like to check out the reemergent stories that she and I've been putting together, the second one is still available, and that's at parentheticalrecluse.com slash reemergence. And the third one will probably be end of May, 1st of June. So I hope you enjoy the one that's there right now. Um, as ever, the theme music to this show is by my good friend and fellow Berserkly alum, Uzio Colon. And uh, that's it. So if you'd like to shout, scream, swear, say hi, or otherwise at me, my email is TWW at parentheticalrecluse.com. And you can check out earlier episodes of the show at parentheticalrecluse.com slash TSR pod. And I think that's it. So hopefully the puppy will continue to sleep. If not, I will continue to be exhausted. See you next time.